I did want to ask both of you, what did you do with the money that your parents gave you? The money for singing lessons, because I saw on social media the ABC Christmas party, and oh, I think it was yeah. Islands in the Stream. Well, that's waste, really, wasted investment. You've cut me, Andrew. What's the question you could have asked? Oh, ask Michael how long he's going to do the job for. Chemistries, I just don't like a word, but you know, it's clear that to make any breakfast TV show work, any double act work, you've got to have a fair bit of uh, mutual rapport and, and respect. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Today, I am interviewing Australian media royalty, Lisa Miller and Michael Rowland. Lisa Miller is a parkrun fanatic who grew up on a dairy farm in Kilcavan. She's also known as the girl from Gympie. And as a child, Lisa spent time watching her politician father in question time at Parliament House. Now, Lisa, not many people do that as a child. You're co-host of ABC's News Breakfast and you're a Walkley award-winning journalist. You have previously been a foreign correspondent for ABC News based in London and Washington, D.C. And you've covered stories including Fidel Castro, the Sandy Hook school shooting in the US and from 2015 to 2018, you covered a number of European terrorist attacks. You've recently written a book, not just a book, it's a best-selling book, Lisa Miller. I'm very proud of you. We had conversations about that book, which we'll get into, Daring to Fly, where you share overcoming a fear of flying, re-examining your childhood and finding the joyful feeling in moments. Your partner in crime, Michael Rowland, is an enthusiastic swimmer and some people might find this surprising is a self-proclaimed introvert. Michael has a very poor choice in sporting teams as a fervent supporter of the Western Bulldogs AFL team. Michael makes up for this, however, with a borderline photographic memory, and he is the master of live dad jokes. Michael is the other half of Newsbreaky and is the ABC's senior network presenter. Michael was previously North America correspondent and during this posting covered stories including the election of Barack Obama as US president, the outbreak of the financial crisis, Michael back in 2007, I think you were just out of school, the Virginia Tech massacre and David Hicks's release from Guantanamo Bay. Michael is also a best-selling author, recently publishing Black Summer, stories of loss, courage and community about the 2019 and 2020 bushfires. Michael and Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. I'm nervous. Uh, (laughs) I I am. I said to Wizard this morning, I have done over 50 interviews, MJ, since 2015 when I sat down with you and VT, Virginia Trioli on the couch. And for some reason, you kept getting me back. So it's over 50 times I've been interviewed by you two and your wonderful co-host. Now I'm interviewing the interviewers. So I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, you should, you should be nervous, mate. Yeah, I, I should be, yeah. Media royalty. And I also want to acknowledge, I've learned a lot working with you two about, especially when COVID hit, because we had to digitise. So I'm so grateful for ABC News Breakfast. And also a shout out to Virginia Trowley. When we first started, uh, Michael, I, I said to PK after about five segments, I had a coffee and, and PK said, how's it going? I said, I don't think Virginia likes me. He said, no, mate, she just likes the banter. Push back. You know, you make it colourful. So I learned so much from you two, PK, Virginia and the team. So I wanted to call out, thank you for all those learnings. And today we're going to talk more about you two as well, what you do. So a rough frame today, four topics. Number one, communication skills. I don't want to talk about 
Michael, where you grew up and going to school. And Lisa, I love your story, both of your stories, but I want to make it really specific about the craft and what you do. So communication skills, how you engage people in, in, in a short format, but how you change multiple times throughout the day. How do you prepare for great interviews? What's the preparation? So many of us now are doing interviews in this new way of working. Some great tips on that. I want to talk about chemistry and creating a high-performing team. Michael, I know you love the word chemistry. Mm, love it. <laughs> and, and for some of your well-being rituals and routines. So let's start with number one, communication skills. Paper, scissor, rock, who's going to go first? <laughs> oh, let's do it here. You, you <laughs> I've never known okay. how to do that. One, two, three. Oh, okay. One, two, three. Right. Okay, I win. It's going to be a long podcast. We could have done that for 50 minutes. All right, guys, thank you. Let's wrap it up. Something, I think this is something about us from the very beginning, isn't it, that we it's teamwork, um, and I think that's really important. We'll talk more about that as the chat goes on, Andrew, but over to you. Yes, so hit me up, big guy. Well, I just done that on teamwork. I said to Wizard, I'm not sure whether they're going to do it separately, but then you came on camera together. So, Lisa, that, that, that's a classic example how you are a team. But yeah, first question on communication skills. When you're sitting down with someone one-on-one, what do you do to prepare for that interview? For that interview, I research, 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 uh, whether it's the prime minister or whether it's uh, an actor, musician, a local mayor, if you've got the time, and usually do with big, big note interviews. I just read everything I can about the person. I look at past, often watch past TV interviews that the people have done to know where they're coming from, uh, read transcripts of interviews if they're politicians. Um, I sometimes over, over research, over prepare, but uh, I found even that is preferable than coming up short during a four or five, six or seven minute interview. Um, if you've got sort of facts and figures randomly in the back of your brain, care of that research, care of that preparation, I find that helps me certainly function better as an interviewer, no matter who the person is. What do you mean about over-preparing? Because I've learned so much, again, on preparing interviews. And I'll shout out to Emily Butzelar when I first started at Newsbreaky. I have a running sheet. And when yeah. I first started at News, I just sent through, okay, here's my bio and a couple of questions. So what What is over-preparing and, and what's the risk of over-preparing? The risk of over-preparing is not getting much sleep on the night before. So if it's the Prime Minister coming on, you want to be on the top of your game uh, when the Prime Minister's on your show. Uh, just reading perhaps, you know, one or two articles too many, which is, in my view, is not over-preparing. It's just all part of a preparation process but you can you can become overly fixated on on one interview compared to you know the nine or ten others you might do on the course of, of that show but i've always found for you know not every interview but big name interviews i i just find over preparing reading as much as i can listening to as much as i can watching as much as i can uh speaking to people to get background on the topics that might come up just helps me and you might not know uh, until you think, oh, hang on, he, he said this or she said that, but she said this, he said something completely that in that transcript um, that I read last night. So you can yeah. hit said person with, with that fact and figure. Yeah, I think one of the key things is not only to think of the questions that you might want to ask, but then think about what's the answer likely to be and what's my follow-up question, mm. which goes to what Michael's saying about having the information in your brain to be able to go, 
well, hang on, that's actually you're using different words to what you've used before. That's with the political interviews. I'm a huge believer in practice and preparation prevents piss poor performance. So I think Michael and I are on the same kind of respect for information and research and whether it's, you know, whether it is a musician, if it's a musician, I'll watch their videos on YouTube and I'll, you know, do as much reading, watch previous interviews. Check check the calendar. If it was the ARI Awards the night before, maybe yeah. keep it lined. <laughs> That's true. And just uh, look, one of the things, I mean, I was kicking myself about an interview just last week, actually, that I had it was a case of almost over-preparing that I had thought, and it was with a, a feature story. It was a feature story. And I can talk about it because it's on me. It wasn't on the, the talent. But it was a woman who was a gold digger and she'd written a book about it, like an actual proper gold digger, a professional. Well, the brief said that she would have a gold nugget with her. And, you know, so I I'd read the brief, well, this, this is the stuff that we get given by our producers that have worked up some of the material. And so I was trying to subtly bring into the interview, you know, hey, do you carry gold with you? Do you take it places? And she never delivered the gold nugget. So I thought, oh, maybe she doesn't have it with her. So my brain's going like this. So that was an interview for me that I thought, you know what, I should have just forgotten, stopped trying to be subtle and just gone very, you know, sort of waded into it saying, do you have gold with you right now that you can show us? But I felt that in that over-preparing that because I knew that she would have it with her, so I'm trying to use language. Anyway, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I have to look at that book, actually. That sounds intriguing. You've just done a good job selling. There's no get-rich-quick tips there, I'm afraid. I try. No, no. Not not really our audience, but who knows? You know, we're diverse. When COVID hit, so many people who are listening to this podcast or watching us, because we film it as well, multimedia, had to learn to present digitally. So I want to ask the, the shift that you have made and, and some, some tips you can give other people. Because when it was all face-to-face, previously, uh, prior to COVID, Michael, I've told you this a few times, my old business model was 50 live conferences, keynotes, two or three high-end programs, and then some coaching. It was all live. And then when we went virtual, there were so many you know, stuff-ups and muck-ups, you know, yep, yep people like this and like not wearing pants <laughs> and like there's, there's memes on all this stuff it's hilarious so what are some tips you can give people as you change from live interviewing where someone's in the room to to looking at a camera because it's a it's a very different skill set and, and it's one that i don't think we've looked at enough as we've shifted to virtual meetings yeah, it's it's so tricky. Um, and uh, whether it's do, doing a live interview face to face with somebody on the couch, or like you and in front of a room, you get energy, right? A big room, you get a lots of energy. People, I'm assuming, laugh at some of your dodgy jokes. Perhaps they don't. I just tune into News Breakfast, yeah. six am to nine am, and rehash them. I just say, is anyone in the audience watch News Brecky? And more people do now. I used to be able to do that, but your ratings have gone through the roof. So I, I can't hijack your jokes anymore, Michael. Okay, Sorry. That's, that's a shame. Well, they're all good jokes anyway, clearly. But it's tricky. There's no two ways about it. Presenting or even chatting as we are now down the line, no matter how clear the um, Zoom connection is, no matter how quick the broadband speed is, you just you miss something, uh, not having that face-to-face reaction, reading visual cues, reading body movements of somebody right next to you on the couch. 
Listen, the same applies to interviewing Gamma Line. Uh, we, we have guests on remotely, be they were in Melbourne, guests in Sydney and Canberra. You, you miss that edge as well. I, I just found, find with online, you've got to sometimes overamp, um, overperform just to keep that presentation uh, more alive than what it would be in a studio. But it's just, it is tricky. And I, I don't think I've mastered it, to be honest. Um, and hopefully, COVID uh, is not going to be repeated and we don't have to go through, through that process again. Talk with my hands more now, Lisa. But, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. More, but yeah, it's completely unnatural, but you just got to mm. run with it. Hey, Andrew, one of the things it struck me again just the other week when you're doing the down the line is if, and it, I was interviewing Ben Harper, the American singer, and the interview started off pretty cold, I would say. And I thought, oh no, where's this going? And then I thought, what what is something that I can use that will try and warm him up? So I reached into the preparation and we'd had Jack Johnson, another singer on the program the week before, and Jack had said that he thought he his career had been made when he was the warm-up act for Ben Harper. And so I hadn't been planning on asking that question early on, but I thought I've got to find some way to break through this shell with Ben Harper. Anyway, I put that to him and there was a tiny little smile and then there was a big smile and Uh he leaned back and he went into it. So I guess the advice is don't be put off by not feeling that energy initially, but be thinking in your mind, where, where can I get it from? What can I pull on here but I'm a massive person for finding energy in rooms and yeah you know I I struggle when I'm asked to be a guest speaker anywhere and they want me to do it on zoom I'm like oh man you're not getting the best of me on zoom and always I subscribe to the uh the strong theory that the zoom camera is always on it is it is uh, and like read about people doing things that they, yeah, well, actually picking your nose is on the more acceptable side of what people have done. People going um, to the toilet, like yeah, literally yes. in meetings, uh, Cheryl, uh, you're yeah. on camera. Right, yeah. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky world of uh, modern mm. technology. Well, Always the technology is one of the stresses that I find, you know, that it's not only that you're doing an interview on live television with someone, yeah. it's worrying about what will happen and then wondering if it starts breaking up a little bit, how long do you persist for until the EP sort of says in your ear, bail out, bail out. I wonder how you do it sometimes. Even looking at this morning, you had Christian Welch, Paul Rudd, Penny Wong, the Chinese, alleged Chinese balloon, spy balloon. Again, this comes from personal experience. If, If I do a talk, it's a talk. Yeah, and, and I might have an hour or a half day, but you do multiple. Then you've got breaking news, and then you've got updates, and then you've got Michael's amazing, borderline <laughs> terrible jokes. But it is—it's a constant rolling feast. I've often wondered this, and I've never asked you both: How do you prepare for that, and how do you reset and then be present, like from one big moment, and then you might go from an earthquake or war to light entertainment to to switch into traffic updates. I don't think it's so much preparation, and that's where our collective experience comes into play, the ability to, like, for instance, this morning we went in the same half hour to interviewing Penny Wong and it was a pretty robust interview, uh, and then from that to having the two of the stars of Harry Potter on the couch, lots of laughter, much more relaxed. Stuff happens, and that's the great joy of the show we do. I just think you draw on your abilities to, you know, go from laugh, laugh, laugh to, my God, this is a really serious, somber story. It takes takes experience. It takes a while. It took me a while to 
if not master that, to actually be more confident in actually switching from light to heavy. Because you're, you're different now because in, in my research, I went back and looked at Michael Rowland when you started News Breakfast. <laughs> and and uh, we'll, we'll put our video highlight together. This whiz, no, well, it's, well, it's gold. Well, maybe, yeah, well, maybe you look so stuffy, my friend. Like you, yeah. and, and I'm sure it was ABC at the time, but everything was so correct and oh yes that's right and you've really like look at you now you've got the dapper shirt open a little bit the cologne on i think the gold chains probably hanging underneath that you've really relaxed into it so i find you've got a nice blend or at least i've only ever known you to have the relaxed blend i couldn't find any footage of you back in the 80s <laughs> hey one of the things though that michael i've i've learned a lot from michael doing this show but one of the things that i have taken his lead on is just to be super honest with the audience and to say wow that was pretty hard going but hey we're going to give you something to smile about which is what you would be saying something so not trying to fake a segue or make it too awkward to just be absolutely honest yeah. with the audience mm. and michael something that virginia taught me and lisa I, I see you both build this in is that notion of healthy conflict and I think in the early days when I started emceeing, doing presentations, I wanted it all to be fun and it could be perhaps confused as Teflon because you're not having any of the meaty conversations. And I'll look at the definition. Healthy conflict is based on mutual respect and trust where people are able to express thoughts without being ridiculed or put down for having a difference in opinion. And I see that you two have that a lot yeah, I, I just want to say something. I had an experience on the tram the other day with one of our viewers. I haven't even told you this yet. So this woman sat down opposite me and she said, you're Lisa Miller. And I said, yes. And we got chatting about breakfast and she said, oh, my mother and I watch you every day and we talk after the show about what the show had. And I pushed her and I said, what is it that makes you keep watching us? Why do you like it? And she said, because I feel safe with your program, I never think you're going to throw each other under the bus. And I thought, wow, how mm. interesting is that? Mm. So she and her mum watch, knowing that we can spar or make, I can pay out on Michael about things, but she, they feel safe. And I thought that was a really interesting word. That's healthy conflict right there. And we're all, you know, to many respects, different people, uh, Nace, Tony, Madeline, all coming, uh, bringing to the show different life perspectives. And that'll often evidence itself in, in chats, you know, sometimes serious chats about social issues, um, all within the bounds of mutual respect. And, um, yeah, let's not go too, too crazy. It is breakfast TV. You don't want to press the conflict button too hard, uh, if at all. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think the viewer you came across and her mum pretty much mm. know. You're sitting there in the ABC studios. If you can put an imaginary rear view mirror up, and look back in the rear view mirror. And Lisa, I'll start with you. I've got one in mind, but I want to ask you first. What's an interview you look back at and you think, I nailed that? And if, if you caught a, a glimpse of yourself in the mirror, you just went, go get that. Now, Michael would have done that, right? Because guys do that. And if we've got hair, we flick the hair. Women might think it. You might just sort of have a little smile. But can you look back in the review? What is an interview that you just nailed? And and internally, you said, go girl. That was just awesome. Um, look, I, I struggle to – I can talk to you about interviews that I've felt comfortable with that I thought have been good experiences for the audience because 
It's more about are we giving the audience what they want to know and has it been, you know, either an enjoyable or an educating experience for them? And so the ones that I kind of think of are when we had Gladys Knight on the couch and she was delightful anyway, but you know, I confess to her that I massacre her songs at karaoke and she was so wonderful. And it's that kind of sense of when you are honest and authentic and you just don't try to pretend to be anything that you're not, I think it then creates a better interview. But you're going to pull one out, are you? you well, before you- I do, I did, I did want to ask both of you, what did you do with the money that your parents gave you? The money for singing lessons, because I saw... I saw on social media the ABC Christmas party and oh, I think it was man. Islands in the Stream. And look, I, I love the enthusiasm. It may, may have been charged with a couple of bevies, but I, I don't think you spent that money on singing lessons. Uh-huh. Well, that's waste, really, wasted investment. You've cut me, Andrew, because um, it's actually my ambition to celebrate my 60th birthday by putting on a cabaret show. So I am going to try and learn how to sing before I turn 60. I know you when there's a challenge, and if, especially if someone says, no, you can't do it, like stuff you. So I look forward to getting tickets, yeah. actually, at the end more <laughs> and watching your cabaret show. Yeah, the one I thought about was uh, when you had yelled out El Presidente, and in your uh, own yeah. words, in a very oh, poor accident with, with Fidel. Yeah, that was a tricky one because we were chasing him all over Cuba. We He wasn't going to give us an interview and so you know when it's in another language you're having to then try and it's an interview not that just you're able to do you're having to have a really close relationship with the producer and to know very clearly if we get some time with Fidel Castro what do we need not what are the questions it's like what are the answers that we want and then to to have that teamwork again with the producer and uh yeah so when we finally found him in Havana, I yelled out, El Presidente. <laughs> I was like, I just, I can't believe I'm screaming out to Fidel Castro. It sounded like, like something out of the Three Amigos. And, like. <laughs> well, and it was when the interview ended and he gave us, I, I remember I counted them again and again, six questions, which I, I just said, did that happen? Did we just get an interview with Fidel Castro? It was just one of those moments that I'll never forget. But what I take out of that, it's the preparation you've done for years, decades, the muscle memory you draw on you didn't even realise that when the, the gate opens, that's it's a sliding door moment and you jump on it and then in reflection you go, oh, my God, we just had yeah. Fidel Castro and yeah. I asked him these questions. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Michael, what's a, an interview you look back on and just go, oh, you're the man. Roland, yep, oh, <laughs> you right nailed on, it. Well, actually, I was, I was lucky enough to interview um, both Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, may he rest in peace. Uh, they were both lovely uh, people, which probably inspired me to uh, have that supercharged, <laughs> with only coffee, of course, uh, performance at the ABC Christmas party, Stephen. Oh, gee. Listen, the one, one that springs to mind, and it's a bit sort of left of field, but I just came away from the interview thinking, wow, that was, you know, I was a bit trepidatious going into it. You might recall last year in the context of the Religious Discrimination Act debate in federal parliament, Stephen Jones, a federal government minister, got up and talked about how his son 
And apologies, Stephen Jones' son, if you're watching this, I'm pretty sure it was Paddy, liked wearing dresses and going out. And Stephen spoke as a parent how he was fearful every time Paddy left the house about whether he'd come home with threats of violence and and all of that really powerful speech, which prompted us through the help of the minister's office getting um, Paddy on, on the show the following morning. And uh, it's always tricky. Paddy was 15, 16 at the mm. time, uh, tricky interviewing teenagers, but also a very sensitive issue. But Paddy was, was a great interviewee. He spoke quite openly about the daily traumas he faces, just living his own life, being who he wants to be. Um, and towards the end, to the point where we were swapping jokes, I, I was I put to him as his dad on the floor of parliament the night before said, well, so much so that Paddy's sister accuses Paddy of stealing addresses. And I said to Paddy, well, I've got to put to you, mate, uh, is this true that uh, your sister uh, says you steal her dresses? And the biggest smile erupted on his face completely disarmed by the question I thought right that mm, you know this is yeah. finishing on a very nice note and he put the record straight saying that no uh, she often steals his dresses mm. and it was just um I, I think you know it's not not a big name entertainment guest not a big mm. name politician but I just thought in recent memory that is one interview that I came away thinking mm. yeah I saw that on the ABC social media and as a father, of a son as well, like three daughters and a son, it moved me and I watched it again. Like I just reflected, you put me in the shoes of a father yeah. of that man and how amazing he was, you know, the, the, the relationship, but the strength he had to break those stereotypes and, and, and I felt moved. Yeah, well, I thank think you. empathy is a wonderful thing to bring to interviews we could personally disagree with various things or agree whatever it doesn't matter but it, giving someone a voice and enabling them to to speak and to do it with a genuine interest in what they have to say yeah I think empathy is a real key and then I see you catch people sometimes Michael on the 730 report I think you know where I'm going with Tom Hanks uh, you quoted Michael Parkinson saying, out of thousands of celebrities he has interviewed over the years, you, Tom Hanks, by far were the most charming because of your modesty and your sense of humour. Do you want to pick up on that? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, you know, interviewed probably 250 on that on that night. Mm. It was, and speaking of remote interviews, that was actually done as, as often these things are with big name overseas Hollywood celebrities. From memory, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, it was morning wherever Tom was. So I was just down the phone and he shoot the questions later uh, before 7.30 goes to air. So I thought, okay, he's, he's done all these interviews. He was promoting his latest film. I asked, you know, all the expected questions about the film and you, and you always try, or at least I do, to come up with something that he hasn't been asked. It would not have been asked in the previous 250 interviews on mm -hmm. that day. And in that research process, and there was a fair bit of research, I just found this interview that Michael Parkinson did on 7.30, Fairly, in the fairly recent past where he picked out Tom Hanks as the easiest, the warmest, the, the best guest he's had. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll toss it to him. And yeah, it was a pretty, to be honest, you know, stock standard promotional interview up until that point. And uh, you could see on the on the tape that um, 
Tom was completely he blushed. taken aback. He did. Yeah. He, you, you actually, he, he went red. He's like, oh, oh, he started to, like, <laughs> yeah. very non-Tom Hanks stumbling over his lines. Michael Rowland here made Tom Hanks blush. I'll take that as a journalistic epitaph. <laughs> That's going to be the byline of this podcast. Now, uh, would be remiss of me just to talk about the wins and the hits and, and everything that's worked well. You may not be able to mention a specific person, but can you pull out an interview where you just went, oh, that was a disaster? And do you want to give a bit of context? And how do you process that? What what, what do you what learnings do you take when you have those? Okay, we're not naming any names because I don't want to end up in uh, defamation courts. But um, listen, there was a fairly big name uh, Sydney band, Sydney-based band. Uh, they were down in Melbourne. Uh, the show up show comes from Melbourne. This is I think it was before your time, Lisa. This is going back some years, but it's stuck in my brain because it was one of those interviews. It was a live interview. They clearly not had any sleep the night before, and mm -hmm. they had clearly come straight from pub, nightclub, hotel room where there was lots of booze. So much so that you could smell them all, you know, metres away before they got to the couch. And they sat down, it would have been Virginia and I doing the interview, and it was just monosyllabic answers, I kid you not, to every question. And this this was a fairly big name act back in, back in the time. And it was just like pulling teeth. Um, they did not warm up. It was probably one of the shortest big name entertainment interviews we've done on the show. And they, they staggered out at the, at the end of it. And, uh, I drew all of my, you know, research skills, my live TV experience, but it just wasn't working. And uh, that was, when they say train wreck, that was a, a massive, you know, to train wreck of an interview, which haunts me to this day. Oh, really? yeah. It wasn't your fault. Yeah, yeah. what could what could have you what done differently you done? apart from yeah. pull out a bottle of scotch and? Well, yeah, or, or um, you know, enforcing a no booze ban, trying to enforce through their publicist no no booze ban at the uh, promotional event the night before. Listen, not 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 much, but uh, I mean, there's, hindsight's always great. I mean, there are ways I could have, you know, that you think of the best lines after the event and the best lines after. You know, you see somebody who drops a line, you, you think two hours later, gee, the good comeback line was this. Mm. Oh, you know, there are always ways of, you know, dragging out the interview or trying to hook mm. them up. Mm. Mm. I um, mean, I've got questions that I wished I hadn't asked, but I also think we do 15 hours of live television every week. We have 12 or 13 live interviews maybe in a program, it is not always going to be perfect. So I try not to beat myself up too yeah. much about that. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you've learnt over time or did you always have that, the girl no, from Gimpy? I think I'm have still that? trying to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> I take things personally. I worry about stuff. I have regrets. I lose sleep. But, you know, we're only human. So, you know, what can you do? I, I would hate anyone watching this to think that somehow Michael and I had discovered the magic answer to anything because no. we are, we're just human. I think a lot of people have no idea how much preparation goes behind behind the scenes. And I've heard people say this flippantly. You just read an auto cue. I did a pretty good job getting their hair, makeup, uh, do your work and then leave. You must just have coffees. And Lisa, you do park run and tennis. And MJ, you do push-ups and you know watch AFL reruns from when the Bulldogs were winning. So you're going back a few years there, but I digress. But there's so much work. And I know one story, Lisa, it was almost seven years in the making. An article called Preparation in Action. Uh, 
Lisa mentioned a story you'd been preparing for seven years. Ever since 2015, when you were the chief of ABC's London Bureau, you'd been involved in planning the broadcaster's coverage of a passing, but you weren't allowed to even mention the passing or take materials on the tube or a train. So that does my head in. Mm. Like seven years of planning. And then when the Queen passed and both of you were up at 4am that morning and it was just going. I mean, we were on air at 4am. Oh, I, I had barely gone to bed because the um, producer had rung me at shortly before midnight, I think, and I said, is she dead? Like that was, that's how I picked up the phone. And um, I had a um, contact at Buckingham Palace that I sent a text message to and I said, I'm going into the office, it's quarter past midnight, is that the right decision? And the response was yes. So I knew that, you know, that was what we were going to be doing. Again, Michael and I have done so much work on preparing for a story like that. And yeah, I had meetings with the BBC and I had seen all of the documentation. You're right, though, it was they used to discuss it as when the balloon goes up, they wouldn't even say when the Queen dies. That was how sensitive all of the information was. And so we did go on to automatic pilot in a way because we knew the job that we had to do and we just did it. Yeah, we did it. We were on air before the makeup team had even arrived. Yeah. So that morning <laughs> I look back at those shots and I look a little worse where, A, I've had no um, sleep and, B, I've had to do my own hair and makeup. And let me tell you, that is never a job that I succeed. <laughs> In high-performance domain, sport, media, entertainment, the arts, we often talk about reps and sets in a non-pressurised environment. So you do the work away from the camera, away from the spotlight, and you get the muscle memory, you get the responses, and then when the light or the camera's on, you just respond automatically. So it's seven years of muscle memory and preparation. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also a lot of work. And, and we it's, it's also just drawing on extensive an extensive collective corporate memory that both of us have, uh, Lisa more than me, having worked over there. About the Queen, um, you know, it's not telling tales out of school. We, as an organisation, as did every broadcast media organisation, did a lot of rehearsals, um, fake shows, you know, pretending the Queen had died. And so we were pretty much a, a well-oiled machine by the time, sadly, that the real event mm. happened. Mm. And that sort of well and truly kicked into gear as well. Mm. So, and, and a massive shout out to the producers yeah. and everyone who worked because, you know, it's all very well for Michael and I to be in front of the cameras, but we're getting fed a lot of information yeah. in our ear constantly, people talking us through what's coming up next, use this point, we've got some black and white footage. Um, but it certainly for me helped that I had been in London for the, a for the ABC for those years and had experiences to draw on. I'd like to talk about chemistry or Michael, we might come up with another word and, and creating a high performing team because I want you to sit back and reflect because you really have had an impact and your ratings keep going up. You know, ABC, when you started News Breakfast years ago, would maybe be in the TV list, you know, what time it was on. It's now front page, back page, social pages. It's getting a, you're displacing a number of the other breakfast shows regularly like today's show. Shout out to Carl. And in an interview for, for from Behind the Media podcast, Michael, you said, I loathe this word chemistry. I absolutely hate it. People talk about breakfast TV or a radio duo having chemistry. I just think it's pretty artificial. Mm. 
Yes, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I mean, chemistries, I just don't like the word, but, you know, it's clear that to make any breakfast TV show work, any any double act work, be, be as, you know, a, a comedian double act or, or whatever, you've got to have a fair bit of uh, mutual rapport and, and respect, clearly, between uh, the, the double acts. You know, chemistry is one way of describing that, but I just, um, I just think one of the reasons the show has been such a great product for 13 years or so now, there's 14 years that it's been on air, through the various iterations, you know, it, routinely there's been that mutual rapport through uh, a laundry list of, of presenters over the years, and certainly Lisa and I in, in more recent times. And I think if you don't have it, it's very clear, and the viewer can see that pretty quickly. Uh, we've seen it on, you know, other shows yeah. over the years. You with You can't fake it. You can't fake no. it. People sit through it. But yeah. you go, you go way back, don't you? Is it uni days or in the? Oh, in Parliament. We, yeah, we came yeah. across each other at Parliament House yeah. in Canberra in the mid nineties. I've, I've got a lot of respect for Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you do like you 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 have fun. You have playfulness. So I got five <laughs> questions. Lise, we'll start with you. So five <laughs> questions to ask you about each other. Number one, the quality you most admire about Michael. Oh, his dedication to hard work. This is. This is pretty easy, actually, because I am in awe of someone who has done this job for as long as he has, but treats every day like it's the first time he's done it. And there is no, he never phones it in. Never, ever, ever. I fooled you, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. There's more questions, mate. Question two, Lisa. What annoys you the most about your co-presenter? Okay, oh, he's tapping with the pans. He's bumping the laptop. I wanted to tell him, don't do it. No, his ability to bloody, his, his, I'll tell you what annoys me the most is his ability to retain stuff that, and it's another compliment, but it, I mean, with politics, especially, I mean, Michael's just fab at it and I wish I was as good, but I'm not. So I try to find my strengths in other ways. Mm. Something about Michael that most people don't know. Question number three. Oh, that he eats an apple in between. <laughs> in, I've seen. I've seen that. It's, I. I think it's incredible that he can crunch an apple while I'm doing an interview or reading an intro, and no one out there knows. And the apple hides under the newspapers you as said soon that as something as annoys you. Some prime minister. You just hear this in the. annoy me. What else? That yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's uh, because I think Michael's oh, he's a great swimmer. He's an awesome dad. He's you know like what I think his musical taste surprised. That's question four. Yeah, what's his oh, favorite band? Oh, and, well, and, and maybe Oil, double down. Sorry, Midnight Oil, of course, is his favorite band. Like that's just a given. Do you but dance I, like Peter Garrett? I do badly. He also will surprise us with music that he's listening to that I'll think, wow, where did that come from? Like, who is this cool dude who suddenly knows the latest, <laughs> the latest music? And yeah. the last one is I'll, I'll provide context. I had a surprise birthday on Friday night. 50 of my closest family, friends, and, and colleagues who are buddies did a surprise birthday party. So my wonderful partner, Tony, she organised this. I had no idea how she pulled it off. And with our kids not saying anything, I have no idea. And it was a little bit like walking in to my funeral. This is what I said in my speech on the spot. Tony said, would you like to do a speech? I was like, no, I do that during the day. I just want to embrace it. She said, you've got to do a speech at your 50th. And I said, it was like being in my funeral. And I saw all my double mates and I saw my sporty mates and cycling mates and corporate friends and uni. It was just, it was 
bizarre and wonderful and lovely. And Tony had organized this book with a few friends overseas uh, who couldn't attend and others here who wrote down what what they appreciated about me. I'd never do that because you feel like a bit of a tosser, but it filled me up and I I, I burst into tears. And one of my dubbo mates said, you're crying like a baby. (laughs) 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 Don't you love you mates? But it was just wonderful. And, and I don't think we have that opportunity enough. So that is a context or as a phrase. Is there anything you haven't told Michael or is there any feedback you've never given Michael? Oh. Now's the time to do it to yeah. a swelling audience. God, that's a really hard question. It's a live performance review. You can park it if you like. Or do you I want to ask him something? Have, I feel that we have a pretty open relationship. I mean, I spent Christmas Day at Michael's place, Michael and Nikki, his wife, and I think that, I mean, it it touched me a lot that Michael asked me over. It meant a lot to me, so I'm going to say to you that meant a lot to me. Thank thank you you very much. Great having you there. Um, Ho, ho, ho. Love uh, Yeah, I think it's, well, I think for a relationship with any of us, whether it's with Nate or Tony, that it's good to be able to talk and have Mm. that you know and i wish we had more time in fact you know unfortunately for us nate and tony both are in high demand outside of our program so we often don't sit around and gas bag and because the program itself takes up so much time so if anything i would love more social time well they're rock stars aren't they they're the demand on their time yeah you should have got those two on i mean they're the the main presenters they're the key we might do Part two, news break, you like the real rock stars. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for the warm-up act. So, Michael, same questions for you. Number one, the quality you most admire about your co-host? I'd be the same, the same as Lisa said about me, her dedication to the job, her diligence uh, is is second bar none. Um, Yeah, across any issue, be it hard news, be it soft news, be it the, the local trend that we're, we're, we're talking about. Um, yeah, it just it's, you can't do this job without having mm. that dedication to the task and, and you nail know, mm. it. I think I, I might miss too. I don't think Lisa does anything annoying. Will we just go well, straight to question no, no, three? No, 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 I, I like to answer that. <laughs> Is anyone going to ask, it, ask me, Stephen? Uh, question two, Michael. Uh, is there anything about Lisa that annoys you the most? Well, so how many hours have we got to? No, actually, the thing that annoys me, it's not really an annoyance, is Lisa's ability to stay perky and <laughs> happy and bright at four o'clock in the morning. When, to be honest, not every morning I'm like that. And to be honest, not every morning a lot of the team is not like that. Lisa has this ability to stay to be this, you know, ray of sunshine. So I've got much to tone it morning. down, do I? No, you can, no, you can, just can... that you can be in that. I'd love to be in that space. Well, uh, her father taught her this. You can never have enough altitude. I love that quote, yeah, Liz. Yeah, no, it's it's a you know annoyance, not an annoyance, but oh, uh, I'm annoyed thanks. that I can't bring the same yeah. happy vibe uh, before the red light goes on. <laughs> Question three: Apart from always being bubbly, something about Lisa that most people don't know. Oh, she's a pretty mean tennis player. Yeah, I think Lisa's training to be in contention for a wild card at next year's Australian Open. Just missed out this year. Just missed out. But I think uh, she, in fact, she's off after this little chat to apply her trade on a tennis court not too far away. Yeah. In between cabaret and everything else. Question number yeah, four. Busy life. Yeah. yeah. Lisa's favourite band. Oh, oh well, given no, well, given a song that I think you haven't sung it for a while, but got in high rotation for a couple of years uh, before the show went on, the Carpenters. Yeah, 
Oh, close you, to you. you. Want me to sing it? No, just, yeah, close. Really? <laughs> Why do, do birds suddenly appear? Every, Every time. time I used to sing that to all my mates Every when they time. fell in love one by one, just like me. There you go. There you go. Oh, I love that. I know that song word for word, tone deaf, but I know the song. Uh, MJ, the final question with the phrasing I said of the surprise party on the weekend. Anything about Lisa you'd like to tell her or any questions you'd like to ask Lisa that you haven't had the opportunity to? Oh, God. <laughs> It's hard. They're hard questions. Yeah, they're hard. You've done your research here, Stephen. Because it is challenging to ask a question like that. It does make you think, hmm, I don't know. Um, Well, I'm happy. Let's just wrap up now because I wanted to stump the interviewers. Yeah. And and I'll I'll, I'll fill in, Michael. I'll give you a bit of time to reflect and think. And I've, I've really enjoyed today so far because... You've shown me and I've learnt about you. Like, I know there's the Tom Hanks and you've done the Fidel Castro, but we're really seeing you two and you're on camera, but the chemistry's real. Yeah. Oh, except we're not going to use the word chemistry. I didn't know the word The connection. Yeah, there you That's go. One other thing that I've learned from Michael, and I, I, this is what I, I feel like I've learned so much from Michael, is to be comfortable with your mistakes on air. Like if you screw something up, not if you're giving someone the wrong name or something like that, but if you, you know, if something doesn't quite go right, um, you know, you fall off your chair or you drop your notepad or whatever, just go with it. Yeah. It's fine. Go with it. And once I felt that release, I felt like, you know, Michael kind of, gave me permission to just go with the flow with stuff like that. It is so freeing and liberating yeah. because it takes away one other worry. Is that, that like when he just called like- me Stephen before? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> did, he did you, it twice, did you, did you pick that up? And I just I left it through the first one to the keeper. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, you're not thinking of Stephen, mate. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so MJ, I gave you enough time. Anything you want to say to close out? Otherwise, we'll go to... An area I know about both of you, well-being and physical oh, preparation. Yeah. Let's talk about Let's this. Let's talk about well-being, yes. All right, start with you, MJ. I know your alarm goes off between 2.45 and 3 a.m. Pick up the rest, what you do. And I'll disclose, I, I know because I've done a bit of work with both of you behind the scenes, so I'll let you lead this because I don't want to go, oh, I know you do this, I know you do that. But for the listener and viewer, depending on the format, I think they will be – totally gobsmacked just how much you both do to change that physical, psychological and emotional state before you go on live. I think you both do a lot during the three hours. Again, that state management, Dr. Tom Buckley, who you both know, who said to say hello to both of you, two lovely people. We talk about performance intelligence. So you both do work before you're on. You do work when you're on. And I know you do work when you're off so you can be on and sustain it. So do you want to pick up, Michael? There's a a, a wide frame. Okay. So the alarm goes off. uh, Yeah. Depending on uh what day it is on sunday on sunday monday mornings i'll push it a bit later because i just want to eke mm. as much sleep out of the weekend but you're roughly about three o'clock so i get up have a coffee and spend the first pretty much hour or so at home just uh reading newspapers online checking emails sent by the producers overnight for about stuff that's popped up after i've gone to bed but yeah, just just reading, 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 preparing um, into the studio at roughly four fifteen, four thirty or so. Makeup, production meetings, back and forth, and that 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 uh, that four thirty till six goes pretty pretty quickly once you're on. It's such a busy environment, 
and then the show three hours nine o'clock rolls around I, I do try to after the show uh, spend some time decompressing um, exercising physical health is very important to me and I find if I'm not physically healthy that affects my ability to do the show to stay mentally alert not not fatigued mentally so I'll, I'll go for a swim I'll go for a run I'll go for a, well walk the dog uh, but importantly I'll try to switch off How's your bench press going? What 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 are you up to now? Oh, well, no, no. Thank you, uh, Andrew. You've tried to uh, get me into the uh, E-man territory, but no, not not well at all. So, um, uh, but I, yeah. So uh, swimming, I've had, I've taken up running again. I'll, I'll run. I'm running five k's three times a week. That's great. Yeah, which at a pretty good pace. Um, swimming is my first love, which I think you know. And yeah, just just staying. Um, you know, just switching off and staying physically fit then back in sort of lunchtime early to mid-afternoon onwards just switching back on and um and you told me many years ago over coffee one day after news brekkie and we were having a chat about well-being and, and you told me something I, I didn't pick up that you're an introvert and yeah. i've i was surprised by that because when the camera's on you're on yeah no i i i, I regard myself as inherently um shy always have been did you check the job description what you do as a <laughs> <I did. laughs> and actually you'll think if, if you watch back early shows you'll see that shyness and that introvert introverted nature was clearly evident clearly mm. evident on air and it's taken me several years mm. to uh loosen up and, and to be not introverted and i'm not yeah. that surprised because you were like that in canberra yeah yeah, yeah no just... i'm not that part, part of you asking that there is a lead extroversion Carl Jung's definition you draw energy by being with others yeah. introversion you draw energy by being by yourself or having yeah, I'm, solitude. Yeah, I'm very self-contained in that sense and, and always have been and so this is fascinating Andrew because I've talked about this with another friend who if we both went to do a speech together I come out of a room of 300 people bouncing off the ceilings I want to go and smash champagnes I've just had the best time she wants to go and curl up fetal position in the bed and does not want to have anything to do with anyone else and so I think part of working with what you are and what you've got is recognizing where you get your strengths from and that's why also we started this conversation talking about zoom interviews and that you know they just i i dread them i really dread them because i love being with someone and i love having that energy and it was actually michael's organization and preparation that enabled us to do this together and i was so glad that he suggested it because it's like yes i'd much rather be doing it here with him and and immediately getting that energy mm. Off. Mm. so that's michael's routine do you want mm. to tell us your routine Oh, hang on, we haven't heard the end of his day because I'm curious about this. So you clock in sort of mid-afternoon, but here's the difference between I think Michael and I. Oh, good. You, you carry on. You've done this before. You keep going. Michael is capable of going to sleep um, easier at the time that's required to go to sleep. That's 13 years of sheer and utter exhaustion doing this show. Yeah, I'm in bed by 8 and usually asleep by 8.05 nah. or so. And nah. I hate him for that. Right? So back <laughs> well, you can go back and answer, yeah, yeah, what annoys exactly. you. Exactly. But, Michael, the way you are, I think that's a flippant remark. I reckon you've done some work to try and foster sleep. So if we looked at how, how do you go to bed at 8 and you fall oh, five minutes after, what's the wind down before that? So it's obviously not a 
you know, Johnny Label or sort of Black Walker. No, yeah, so John, I, I, Johnny Walker, was, Black Label. He's like, <laughs> um, it's he, you know six or six thirty as opposed to going to bed on a full stomach, which is not great. Um, but I, it's a combination, and it's it's not flippant because it's thirteen years of doing this job. You sort of, I, you op- I mean, I operate, I think, in this permanent low level jet lag. Um, it's fine. I, I can do the show. I can operate um, as a, as a relatively normal human being um, most days. Um, so there's, there's that sort of um, deeply set low level exhaustion that helps me get to sleep so quickly. But that's where the physical exercise comes in. I find if I'm physically tired, often I'll do like a run or a swim in the morning and take the dog out for a walk in the afternoon just to you know build up the physical exertion, the physical tiredness. So a combination of those two is is more than enough for me mm-hmm. to hit the sack. Because the average shift worker, and you are shift workers, the average yep. shift worker is five to seven kilograms heavier when you look at similar populations that don't do shift work and you're both healthy and you've looked after yourself no. over time as well. Yeah, no, I would debate all of that. I mean, I think, well, you, and I'm happy to talk about it and be honest with people about it because when I first started this job, I'd wake up at 3 a.m. and I'd have a piece of toast or something and then I'd have something during the program and then I'd have breakfast after the program and my weight started ballooning and I'd hit an age where it wasn't easy to get it off and you and Dr. Tom actually helped me with that and suggested um, fasting, which was a great method for me. And I'll just interject. We we, we gave you some guidance. Yes. You were a wonderful student. You yeah. doubled down, and and I can remember then yeah. seeing you about three months yeah. later, and I said, like, but later. it's so easy to what you know what, and I'm starting that process again now because the last six months of 2022 was not a great six months for me there was a lot of stuff going on and the first things that kind of drop away unfortunately are the health aspect which is not great i i don't think i'm a great um uh example of someone looking after themselves when they should so i appreciate your comment 2023 is going to be a different year the sleep thing though maybe it's the kind of energy levels i do feel find at 8 p.m i'm ready to go out dancing <laughs> like i'm just honestly i am i am so wide awake and so i do take sleeping tablets and you know i've spoken to my doctor about that and i'd love to be able to find the pattern that michael has found but I've tried everything and if you do the job long enough, Lisa, you'll be right. Yeah, Twelve <laughs> or thirteen years. How how long are you into it now? Four years. Like what is it? Yeah. Three and a half years? Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate your honesty. You said that in a text yesterday that you, know, mm. you, you got back on the program again. Yeah. I think most people listening to this will will totally resonate with that. That they follow a plan around nutrition and well being and mental health. And and I've got a couple of questions, Lisa, on that as well. And then events happen and we get off track. But it's that ability to self-regulate and come back. You know, nearly everyone listening to this will know what to do. We should move more, we should eat less, alcohol in moderation, get lots of sleep, hang around people you like, get good chemistry or connection and have downtime and yeah, have a bit of fun mm. not rocket science but we get caught up and stressed and yeah and i mean i'm the same with michael as in straight after the program i always want to do my exercise so i go to pilates i play tennis and i love park run on a saturday which is more important mentally for me now than it is physically to be honest mm. 
A couple of quotes for you around mental health uh, in doing research on this. Uh, Mia Friedman in a No Filter podcast said about you, being a TV star is very new to Lisa in many ways that are both wonderful and incredibly difficult, even painful. What do I say to that? <laughs> it's fun. I love it that someone will jump on a tram and say g'day and talk to me about the program. I like that. But there are other aspects. The scrutiny and certainly the online scrutiny has been something that I was not anticipating and has been the most difficult thing to to deal with and you know I'm working through it and trying to but yeah it's it's a funny I I don't think I, I mean I never thought I would end up being a breakfast tv host so I think given that it was not a job that I had as my ambition but it's ended up being a job that I have loved and it has taught me so much and I wouldn't have changed it for anything it's um it's not one that I still feel super comfortable in, I guess. Mm. Are you back on Twitter? No, God no. Oh no. Elon hasn't convinced you to get back oh, on. Oh my God, no. <laughs> and, and and for the setting, like you there would uh, the anonymity people have and it is terrible nowadays what people can say behind these closed walls. And I've heard you talk about this before, Michael, that you've had co hosts and had Lisa who are just getting yeah tarnished and trashed by an interview and if you did the same interview you weren't getting much much feedback either but have, have you had any of that michael have people had a go at you over the years oh yeah oh, no yeah. i, I copped it no yeah but all seriousness i do not cop it a lot of the um a lot of the abuse is very gendered and and that's um, that's obvious um especially on twitter so i i, I cop it but uh no near as much as lisa and pretty much every other female journalist or presenter cops it so at, at a different level so I, I i can never pretend to walk in in lisa's shoes given um what, what she cops but yeah no you, you just yeah you, you do generally speaking have to have a pretty thick skin doing this this job because mm-hmm. people will have views on you know political interviews you do every day from you know both ends of the spectrum you're either a a, a, a Tory stooge or a dirty commie, you know, one or the both, and you and you've done what you think and what is, you know, one hundred percent of the time, a, a straight down the barrel um, interview, subjecting said politician to, to scrutiny. So that's always it's always been part of the job. Pre social media, um, people used to write, in, mm. and so they still do. And I, but yeah, I used to get letters in the mail. This is going at thirteen years ago when Twitter was still very much in its infancy some really vile stuff as well, but you've just got to um, try as much as you can to have a thick skin and mm. have as much of that stuff bounce off you as possible. But that's 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 easier said than done. There's thick skin and people in corporate world and you've got your own business, uh, even you know, labour-type work, you get feedback to stay employed, yeah? But yep. people don't come into your lounge room and go, hey, the way you – that diesel mechanic, the way you did that, why are you wearing those shorts? you got funny voice. Your hair's like this. And then, Lisa, you spoke a lot about that in your book. And there was a great article as well in the Canberra Times with Michael McKernan who said the courage that you show in working through this over the years at the cost of your marriage and almost your job will glow in the hearts of readers who may be able to understand how immobilizing deep-seated anxiety is. And and I, and I read that and I, I, I knew you through ABC and some of the work we've done, but I didn't know you. And I found that part of the book really touching. If you can remember, I sent you a text message that night and said, hey, I really appreciate you being so open, so authentic. Your words totally moved me. 
Well, thank you. That was talking about my fear of flying and then, you know, dealing with all the terrorist attacks and stories that we've done over the years. Before we move off the social media, I just wanted to say that it were, it's different for everyone, but I've had to just step away from it completely to try and, you know, and so the only letters that turn up tend to be in coloured crayon in capital letters and you can generally tell that that's not one you want to read. Yeah, Krusty so, the Clown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, 2023 is going to be a much better year on a whole lot of levels, Andrew. I can feel it. So Awesome. So can I. No, I've got. <laughs> See, that's the low level jet lag. That's that's one result of yes. low level yeah. jet lag. Or, misnaming people you've yeah. known for years. So. Or driving through a red light, you know, like yeah. you just, it is, that is, I now have stopped myself driving on a Friday afternoon because have I realised by that time of the week, I am too tired mm. and not safe to be on the road. Like it is. I, I think what we put our bodies through, I mean, God, we're, we're only TV breakfast hosts. I mean, you know, we're not saving little children. Or well, just interesting on that. I'm just going back into the my archive on yeah. useless physiological facts that you can sometimes pull out towards the end of an interview that you never knew you were going to realise. But 0.05, someone's 0.05, after 18 hours of not having sleep, you can be equivalent of 0.05 for some people. In 24 to 36 hours, you'll be more than 0.05 as far as your reaction time. So you think about people who fly internationally or do shift work and then drive, it is dangerous. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And oh, just on names, um, it, it's good to get that out there, Carl and Sarah, and speed. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> now, I've got, a, I've got a final one for you, the, the flip. Yeah. Uh, is there a question that I should have asked you? Or Lisa, I should have asked Michael. Michael, I should have asked Lisa. Or is there a question you'd like to flip and, and ask me before we wrap up? Oh. <laughs> the sound you hear is a breakfast TV presenter's brain. <laughs> like, come on, Andrew. This wasn't on the bloody run sheet. Yeah, on, the producers didn't give us this. God, come on. Make it easy for us, champ. What's the question you could have asked? Oh, Ask Michael how long he's going to do the job for. Oh, great. Michael, uh, we're, on, we're on social media at the moment. I've just put it out there. We've got Claire from Moorabbin. Hi, Michael. Long-time viewer, first-time texter. How long do you think you'll be doing news breakfast for? P.S. Just between you and I. Won't tell anyone else. Kiss, kiss. Is your connection, can you see... Andrew, he was. I missed him after Claire from Moravian. I can't. As long as, as long as I enjoy doing what I'm doing, and I, I enjoy what I'm doing. But that said, I've been doing this job. It'd be 13 mm. years this year. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm much, much closer to the end of the beginning mm. that way. But yeah. uh, no plans to uh, to go anywhere. Oh, Claire's just sent another message. She's astute and listening to this in real time, which is weird because right. we haven't published yep. it yet. So I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Claire also has asked if you weren't doing news breakfast with oh, the wonderful Lisa you. Miller and your crew, yeah. what would you do? What would I do? Uh, listen, I'm such a procrastinator and I'm so lazy off air. I'd be sitting on a on a beach in a sunny courtyard with a book or newspaper, uh, not doing much at all. At this stage of my life, I've had a, a, a very uh, lucky career, you know, I've been mm. very fortunate, but um, 
you're getting retirement vibes here, aren't you? <laughs> no, because I think he, he couldn't help himself. He'd be doing something. He'd be, um, yeah, he'd be lecturing somewhere or, you yeah. know, talking I, to groups or. I wanted to let him run. I'm going to step in. That's yeah. absolute bullshit, champ. <laughs> <laughs> you're young and you've got this playful disposition youthfulness zest mate i'm going to get you to 100 i've told you that so no, you, you're only just halfway there well here's a question back to you and we haven't had a session and for those listening and watching um andrew was just absolutely uh fantastic as yeah. is tom in in this space I highly recommend both of them how should i stay motivated i've been doing this you mm -hmm. know it's a high performing job a very heavily scrutinized job for 13 years how, how what tips would you give me to stay motivated to say get to 15 years to get another Ooh, two years this out. is a good one uh, lisa might have to start packing up her racket and ball soon because i could go deep <laughs> on this but i'll give you the I'll, I'll give you the high level version and when i'm in melbourne next let's have coffee walk and talk and we'll chat about it connect it to your why now i've, I've been doing a lot of work around this the last few years so uh, purpose and three things a purpose needs to be, the research shows. One, it needs to be bigger than you. Two, it needs to excite the living daylights out of you. And three, it needs to be future focused. So I would be coming back and saying out of everything you've done and from ABC radio to foreign correspondent to what you're doing now and the degrees in there and being a father and you know, all that range gets you to where you are, your next step will evolve when you connect it to that higher order purpose. Mm. I got a bit deep on you, but no, I, I, I do a lot of work around this now, Michael, with mm. yeah, some of the execs, some of the founders I work with who are loaded financially, but they're poor, some of them bankrupt emotionally and sometimes spiritually, because it's all been about extrinsic rewards. You're not this, but, but I think if you pull deep on that thread, uh, something that excites the living daylights out of you, something that's future-focused and something that is more than you. So all those three things, I can just see you go tick, 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 that's news brecky. You'll get that in your next whatever it is that you do. You know what he needs more of? Singing in the studio. <laughs> He's got good jazz hands. And yes. you, no, you could, Garrett has, mate. Oh. Yeah. So, so when I say that, though, what, what do you think? Play that back. What, what's going through your yeah, mind? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly all those things uh, are factors that keep me going for uh, at News Breakfast at the moment. Certainly, it's ex I, I'm still excited every day uh, doing the job and, and saying that I know I'm so lucky being able to say that because lots of people mm. go to jobs which, you know, they often hate. So I'm, I'm very lucky doing doing that and it's very much future-focused. I you know, can't wait to, you know, look, you know, talk about stuff coming up and look forward to start doing mm. doing the show. So yeah, yeah. You, but you're doing a service too. Like like you mightn't think of it that way. I think of it that you are you're doing something for our audience. Yeah. It's not about you. Like that's yeah. No, I think Michael is too humble sometimes. He is. He poppies, is and... poppies on me, mate, when you're down here. I, I, I'm looking forward <laughs> okay, to the for... low level dirty version. <laughs> Ed, Ed Cowan, former test cricketer. Yeah. Ed's a good mate of mine. And he said this beautiful quote that when he was playing cricket for Australia at the MCG in front of 100,000 people, he climbed a mountain, let's call it Everest. And he said, then when he transitioned and he was no longer playing cricket for Australia, he wasn't going to get exactly the same high. He said, but I had a set of skills and I had to scale back down the mountain. And I looked, there's another mountain. And, and I could climb up it quicker, 
But I had to be humble and I had to say I'm starting again because you don't just jump from one mountain to the other. So I find people very high-profile roles with that mindset. What Ed is getting into is really identity and personal identity. You're not just the broadcaster. You're lots of other things. So connecting those two things, that identity and purpose, there's your roadmap. It's going to be a long walk and talk, isn't it, over this one, the coffee? <laughs> Lisa, a question I yeah. should have asked or you'd like to ask me? Uh, no, I think we just I think we just did it. How about we wrap there it up and let you go to tennis? Yeah, my tennis is <laughs> I was thinking one of the things that I am um, very comfortable about for the future for me is that I have so much of a big life outside of my work, and I have lots of different communities. I'm a I'm a massive one for building communities and so I have a community in the neighborhood <clears throat> where I live I've got a community with park run I have a community with my work and so I feel really comfortable about whatever the future might bring for me because I feel surrounded by good people I want what she's having you have <laughs> got Archie my son and I we've been doing park run yeah and it was because of your insta post there she is again oh my god this woman is just <laughs> just relentless I know you do 5k every bloody Saturday <laughs> and I'm feeling guilty. So you flip it back on me. Thank oh, you. Wow. Looking forward to catching up. Can I just say thank you on two levels? One is the mentoring and guidance because because mentor is from the Latin word mentore to be like. So even if you don't realise it, you mentor hundreds of thousands, millions of people who watch you and learn. And I've learned a lot from watching you and and having the opportunity to be on News Breakfast. So authentically, thank you to both of you and the wider crew over the years. Second... Thanks for, for being you today, like for, for being Lisa and Michael. You happen to be co-hosts, but I've learned a lot and seen a, a lot of that dynamic today and why it works. So, yeah, heartfelt thanks. No, thank Back you. Back at you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you for everything. Uh, in yeah. all seriousness, you've, you've helped me a lot, certainly in the physical and mental space mm -hmm. uh, over the years. And um, I'm mentored by you so yeah. in so many ways. Uh, and listen, mate, I, I'm, I'm actually impressed and, and touched at the amount of research clearly did listening to what you know other interviews we've done lisa's book uh newspaper articles going back and um you know remembering how awful i looked on air uh, <laughs> I mean, I, the, the, the others I, I've, I've got to thank luba because she's fantastic at doing some of the research but you know and it's a credit to you that no that was a really great chat because you we talked about preparation you came with very prepared so oh thank, thank you. you um yeah, that, that, that's the highlight of my – well, it's only Monday, but it's the highlight of my week. <laughs> hey, and you didn't mention Manly Sea Eagles. Well, that's, oh, uh, stop it, well, right. Are you giving me the – uh, is, is this the, uh, the entree into – All right, I'm heading to the, into the What are you thinking, Andrew? Right. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity. I'm loving working with Anthony Seabold and watch that space. We'll, we'll get you – I'll get you when I come up a Manly little kit, a supporter kit, and we'll get you on Team Manly. The calling of the NRLs. Not, not See ya. <laughs> it was going so well. Go to tennis, get out of here. Bye. See ya. Bye. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. 
If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.